This is the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast, and I'm Alexis, your host. This is a show for you if you want to geek out about star magic with the vibe of a Saturday brunch. Last week, we left off uh, our study of the three books of occult philosophy, uh, the idea of the Spiritus Mundi, which is Latin for Spirit of the World. That's a key part of the philosophy behind magic, especially magic in the Renaissance. However, if you have listened to season three already, you know that a lot of common concepts in the manifestation space are thrown around with little concern for their origin and are often Christian in origin. And that's part of why I believe in the importance of looking at the classics of the esoteric tradition and understanding the context in which they came about. If you want to check that out, or refresh your memory, the links are in the show notes. But if you're new to the show, first of all, welcome. I promise that you can follow along with this episode without pausing going back to those or the other episodes of Season 5. Although if you are interested in star magic, I recommend that you queue them up. Anyway, I titled this episode The 12 Spiritual Laws of the Universe, because I thought it was more SEO-friendly than Spiritual Mundi, that the few topics are interconnected. So, when I talk about the laws of the universe, I mean the 12 universal laws that are thought to be intrinsic and changing laws of our universe that our ancient cultures have always intuitively known. One such ancient culture is Hermeticism, which is one of the main traditions that the three books draw from. And more or less anyone in the Western esoteric tradition traces back to Hermes Trismegistus. But there are many authors that are syncretic and incorporated ideas from the East. And of course, the Eastern traditions themselves had their own developments and concepts that in many ways are similar because everyone is just trying to find the deeper meaning of what it means to be human. So just a, a recap... These laws are the law of energy, the law of rhythm, law of action, law of oneness, law of gender, law of polarity, law of relativity, law of transmutation, law of compensation, law of cause and effect, law of attraction, and law of correspondence. Now, all of these make sense when you consider the context of magic as being one that recognizes the divine as the container of the whole. We see the law of rhythm, for example, in the writings of Augustine of Hippo as one of his proofs that there was a divine intelligence organising the cosmos and he wasn't exactly an occultist. So the spirit of Smundi applies to all of them but is the most relevant, in my opinion, to the law of correspondence, which is the hermetic principle of as above, so below, to the law of transmutation, which is the idea that every action is preceded by a thought, and to the law of divine oneness, which highlights the interconnectedness of whole things. That's because in a grip on words, by the spirit, therefore, every occult property is conveyed into herbs, stones, metals and animals through the action of the sun, moon, planets, and through stars higher than the planets. Because the soul is that which we call the quintessence. And when it comes to the world around us, rather than our souls, he says, it is not from the four elements, but a certain first thing 
having its being above and besides them. And that's from the three books, book one, chapter 14. So to summarize, the way Agrippa sees magic in the natural magic stage is as a derivation of the celestial stage, which itself is a derivation of the intellectual or divine magic that we know as ceremonial. Then in chapter 17 of the first book, he goes on to address the idea of friendliness and enmity among things, with saying that in the elements, fire is an enemy to water and air to earth, but yet they agree amongst themselves. And again, he lists the factions among the celestial bodies based on the idea that their friendship is the strongest who agree in nature, quality, substance and power. It's very specific with who's what to whom, but does not credit anyone for the why. And so I assume it's down to the usual sources that his audience would have taken for granted. And the reason I wanted to talk about the Spiritus Mundis is actually two reasons. One, the importance of astrology to magic in the Western esoteric tradition. And the other, which is my soapbox around how much of this space, especially in the more popular manifestation narratives, takes for granted the idea that we can all justly trust in the idea of divinity that is inherited from a Christian tradition and not always examined critically. So for Agrippa, astrology is the much-needed key for all secrets. In another book of his, the Vanitate, he had condemned the version of astrology that was fallacious conjecture practiced by superstitious, ignorant and mendacious followers. But like any other human science, for a science it was to him, since at the time it meant knowledge of any kind, astrology is both bad and good. It is bad in the hands of those who pass off a conjecture as an infallible fact, thus denying man's freedom and the divine potential, that providential design. And it is good in the hands of, obviously, the Christian magus who uses it to reveal that God shines everywhere and to benefit his own kind. Also, an aside, the definition of science is a systematically organised body of knowledge on a particular subject. When people insist that astrology is not a science, they are using science to mean a number of disciplines that have their own specific names. But astrology is a systematically organised body of knowledge about humans. And I believe it's fair to consider it, at the very least, a quirky social science. Anyway, not a discussion I plan to be having this week, if ever. I'm not interested in spending time trying to convince people to see my point of view about things. And if what I have to say resonates with you, then I'm happy to freely give you my time researching things and making them more digestible for you. And that's what this podcast is for. And anyone who isn't already interested in magic, at, at least on an intellectual curiosity level, is unlikely going to listen to it. And my life is not going to be made better or worse if I can sell magic to people. You're not going to hell if you don't buy into my worldview. If anything, if the Christians are right, you are going to hell if you do. So proceed to your own peril. Anyway, before we go, I wanted to talk about someone that Agrippa influenced with the idea of the Spiritus Mundi, who is the Irish poet William Blatteries. And he lived at the turn of the 20th century and was one of the key figures in the Irish literary revival. So 
This is a movement that sought to rediscover the cultural island that predated colonization. So it was heavy on reviving Celtic themes, and one other interest of Yeats alongside mythology was the occult. Now, if you know your history of Western occultism, his lifetime overlaps some of the major developments in the field. So it's not surprising it find himself influenced by Renaissance musicians. In 1892, he wrote, If I had not made magic my constant study, I would not have written a single word of my Blake book, nor would the Countess Kathleen have ever come to exist. The mystical life is the centre of all that I do, and all that I think, and all that I write. But the Spiritus Mundi, for Yeats, was the realm from which all creative and magical inspiration can be drawn. It's a universal memory and the muse of sorts that provides inspiration to the poet or writer. So to Yeats, the Spiritus Mundi is like the source of all images and symbols and a collective unconscious. I'm going to probably circle back to these in a different episode since there is so much from season four that I did not include at the time to make space for more guest episodes. But I wanted to begin mentioning it because it provides a more agnostic alternative view to the deeply religious interpretations of magic that is strictly down and checked under the vague notion of tradition. If you are interested in more about the idea of trusting in manifestation, I'm happy to like dedicate an episode to that topic. But also in the meantime, you can find a blog post I wrote earlier this week in the show notes. That's all for this week. I hope you'll be over on Substack tomorrow for the Aquarius newsletter. And until next time, keep living in wonder. <laughs>